great to have you here. We're, um, we've been doing this series for the last few weeks called Masterpiece, and this morning we're going to finish that series off. Uh, it's been a great series. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've um, been looking at what a guy by the name of Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, uh, a letter known as the Ephesians, and um, he talks a lot about our identity. There's a great verse in Ephesians that says that um, when God looks at us, when it's, it's like he sees a masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. And uh, there's some great uh, stuff we can learn from that book about who we are and our identity. And we're going to talk about that some more this morning. But um, in preparing for what I want to talk on this morning, um, I, I kind of had this thought, isn't it great that we, we live in this society now where there is just so much access to news from around the world? Did you know that? We've got like these uh, networks that give us like 24 hours a day, seven days a week access to news. Never has there been a time where man has lived where we have been able to get information so quickly and so readily from around the world. And thanks to these wonderful news networks, as soon as something happens anywhere on this planet, we get notified through apps and through smartphones and through TV news networks. And 24 hours a day, they are reporting that news. Now, that's good when there's news to report. Uh, sometimes it cannot be so good because on a slow news day, you can have a, an article like this, CNN here. Paris Hilton arrives for her post-jail interview with CNN's Larry King. Breaking news! Um, sometimes these news networks have to fill with, with other stuff. But the reality is that because of these news networks, when, when major news stories happen... We now hear about it straight away. Now, that may be a good thing. Sometimes that can be a, a bad thing because it means that we're aware instantly um, of evil that takes place around this world, and we're aware of it straight away. You know, you'll remember it wasn't that long ago that the news headlines broke open with the news of that school shooting in Sandy Hook Elementary School. A 20-year-old man took the life that day of 20 children and six adults. And because of the news networks, we were made very aware in that moment that there is evil present in this world. Thanks to global news networks, we were instantly aware of those attacks in Europe earlier this year in Paris and in Brussels that left hundreds of ordinary men, women, and children dead or injured. And again, instantly, we got access to those images and those videos and those stories. And instantly, we were very much aware of the fact that there is evil present in our world. You know, it's hard, isn't it, not to watch these, these grisly images on these screens and to, to hear these awful stories from around the world and to not believe that there has to be something, some kind of twisted evil, something behind all of this. And maybe we find ourselves asking, what is the explanation to this? Where does this evil come from? Why does it exist in the world? And I think sometimes maybe we, we, we fall back on this idea that, you know, where we live here in Washington, Illinois, in central Illinois, um, compared to some of these global things and national things that are going on, we kind of feel maybe a little bit more sheltered. Maybe we don't see evil in quite the same way as we do on our TV screens. In fact, if I was to ask you this morning, you'd say, well, I'm not really sure that I see much evil in my neighborhood, in my backyard. In fact, if I was to ask you to define the kind of evil that you face in your lives every day, maybe this last week, the kind of evil you were exposed to, you may have to kind of think for a bit. You're like, well, when I think of evil, that kind of happens out there. 
When I think back to my last week, evil, I, I mean, I guess I could think about this morning. There was that moment when I came through the fire and I just, you know, I thought, I'll take one donut hole because that's a lot smaller than a whole donut. And you know what? Maybe I'll take two because that's still a lot smaller. But then there was that voice in my ear, that little voice whispering, have another couple. And you're like, you know, I did kind of park a bit further away this morning. I walked a little bit further to the foyer. I can, and before you know it, you've eaten enough donut holes to equal one donut. And you're like, ah, why do I give in to that evil every Sunday that convinces me to eat more donut holes than I should? Maybe for you this week, you know, as you think hard, evil, you know, if I had to think about something evil, I'll tell you what it was. It was this week in the school line. When I was dropping my kids off to school, there's a system. You have to go in this way. You have to line up. You have to, and I saw that car. He snuck in the sideway and he dropped his kid off where he wasn't. That is evil right there. You want to know Washington, Illinois evil? It's cheating the drop-off line on a Wednesday morning. That is evil. Or maybe this morning, I don't see this, but, but maybe this morning you're like, Dave, evil? I'll tell you evil right here. Look at this picture. Evil. Look at the eyes. It's out to get me. Now, I don't see it, but I've met people who are like, look at it right there. He looks cute, but he's evil. <laughs> he wants to kill me. Um, maybe in your context, maybe in your world, it's hard. You know, we looked at some of those images of, of um, things from around the world, but here we look in our lives and we're like, I'm not sure that I see so much evil in my world. Maybe evil isn't something that we think about or we, we see on a daily basis, but I want to tell you this morning that evil is present in our world. It's present in my world. It's present in your world. And maybe sometimes we just don't recognize it. Now, I don't want to scare you this morning or, or freak you out at all. But as we continue on in this series called Masterpiece, we've been working through this letter that Paul wrote. And we found ourselves this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. It's the last part of that letter. And Paul starts to talk about um, the idea of, of evil. He starts to talk about some things in our world that maybe aren't visible to the naked eye. You see, I could ask you the question this morning, excuse me, do you believe that there is an unseen world where agents of evil are at war with God and everything good? Because you see, the writers in the Bible, they did believe that. There are many um, times they talk about that. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he wrote a letter called 1 John. And in 1 John 3, he says that the devil has been sinning against God from the beginning. He is the influencer behind sin. Matthew, writing about the life of Jesus, describes the devil as an agent behind temptation. Luke, another writer of the life of Jesus, he talks about a woman who comes to see Jesus who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. And he said it was as if she's been bound by Satan. Paul says that Satan deceives by masquerading as an angel of light. He pretends to be good, but his intentions are evil. Jesus himself, according to John, the writer John, says that um, he calls the devil a liar. And the father of lies. Time after time after time throughout the letters and the, the books you read in the Bible, you'll read of these, all these different writers from Jesus to Paul to the apostles talking about an enemy. Referencing Satan, the devil, and um, that he, he is out to do harm. 
And I think we tend to forget that there is this spiritual battle that's going on constantly around us. We either forget or maybe we just choose to deny it. We're like, I'm not sure that I believe that. I'm not sure that that kind of evil really exists in my world. Well, maybe that's not your thinking. Maybe you're being influenced a little in your thinking. There was a book written by a, uh, an English author by the name of C.S. Lewis. You may have heard of him. He wrote all the Chronicles of Narnia books. But he also wrote a great book called The Screwtape Letters. In this book, it's, a, um, it's kind of a, a fantasy, a fiction book. But it's this idea he has of what it would be like if um, a conversation would take place between two demons. And these two particular demons, one's a kind of a junior demon, and uh, he's tasked with the role of, of looking over the life of this individual. We don't know anything about this person. He just refers to him as the patient. And his role is to keep an eye on the patient and try and lead him away from God and try and lead him into a life of sin and destruction and damage and hurt and pain. That's his task in life. But C.S. Lewis talks about this demon as being a junior demon. He's kind of, kind of new. So he corresponds with his uncle, who's, who's a much more mature demon. He's, he's got a lot more history and a lot more skills. So these letters go backwards and forwards. And in one of these letters, the uncle, his name's Screwtape, he replies, he says, I wonder you should ask me whether it is essential to keep the patients in ignorance of your own existence. Our policy for the moment, is to conceal ourselves. I do not think you'll have much difficulty in keeping the patients in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination, that will help you. And if any faith suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. This, this uncle, the screw tape, his advice was, listen, you want to try and convince this guy that you're just a, you're a fiction. You don't really exist. And I think the reason C.S. Lewis kind of hits upon this is because he says, listen, if we were to believe that this was true, then we may do something about it. We may actually stand up to the evil in the world. We may actually start praying. We may actually start believing and wanting to make some changes. But if we don't believe it to be true, then there's nothing we need to do about it. I happen to believe that the best tactics that the forces of evil use in our culture still today is to remain hidden. I think we actually see that more in our culture, in our Western world, than in other parts of the world. In places like South America and Africa and Asia, there are far more um, beliefs, far more openness to the idea of a spiritual world of good and evil. And, and uh, there are all sorts of um, lucky charms they have and traditions and uh, gods they worship because they're very aware of this, this supernatural place. In fact, I heard of a conversation once between some students at a Bible college, and they were talking about the idea of, you know, angels and demons and spiritual warfare, and they were kind of debating backwards and forwards over how true it was and what really happened. And, and one of the students was actually from Kenya, and he was sitting there listening, and, and finally someone asked for his opinion, and here's how he responded. He said, I find it interesting to listen to Americans sit and debate whether or not spiritual warfare is real. In my country, no one asks that question because we see the reality of spiritual warfare every day. 
The stories you read in the Bible about Satan and demons causing visible chaos, those things really happen in my country. Perhaps Satan doesn't do that stuff here because then you'd wake up and realize he was real. See, the truth is most of us know that we're fighting a battle, but we just don't recognize it as a spiritual one. We face all kinds of battles in our daily lives and, um, you know, different things happen and chaos ensues. And, and very often we just kind of think, well, maybe that's just life. And sometimes it could be, but sometimes there's, there's more going on. Maybe you've had a day that looks something like this. Check out this video here. What's your problem? For Alexander, life couldn't get worse. I can't believe Elliot Ticks had photoshopped pictures of me to the whole school. My black book! Unbelievable. Space is all green. It's not poisonous. I don't think it's poisonous. I'll be your driving examiner. My girlfriend probably wants to start prom. We never answer the phone when I'm driving. Proms don't happen every day. Hey, Celia. Put the phone down. You tricked me. Get out. I don't think he passed. I think that you just got to have the bad days so you can love the good days even more. Trust me, I would know. We are not going to let this day get the better of us. Are we ready, Coopers? Yes! Let's go, Wreck-It Ralph. You have no idea the kind of day we are having. Is that a pirate's box? Uh, yes, it is. That is so dope. Stop. Drop and roll. Call 911. I still have Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. One of the kangaroos got out. I am on it. Where are you? Hey, party kangaroos! You've had a day like that this week, or some situations like that family had. I would be very surprised if you had, if your arms have been on fire and a kangaroo had attacked you. But uh, maybe it's been a rough week. Maybe some things have gone up and down. And, and here's where I'm kind of going with this thought this morning. You know, there are these two extremes, aren't there? There's this idea that, man, I don't believe that there's anything. I just think these things happen. And I'm not ready to believe that there's actually a devil or there are spiritual forces that are working against me, trying to bring harm to my life, harm to my family, harm to um, our situations. Or maybe you're at the other extreme, um, and you're like, I do believe. It, it's everywhere. Everything bad that happened to me today, it was the devil. He's been, ever since I got out of bed this morning, he's been going one step after the other. In fact, you know what? This morning I woke up, I had diarrhea. It's the devil. The devil did it to me. You know what? If you went out for Mexican late last night, it may not have been the devil. <laughs> okay, that sauce you put on El Diablo. Well, maybe it was the devil, yes, but... Um, but the reality is some people, they're at the other extreme. You know, they see the devil everywhere. And I don't think he should get that much credit. I think in this, this fallen world that we live in, bad things happen. But I do think that somewhere between these two extremes lies this, this, this idea that Paul's bringing to us, that we have to be aware that there is a spiritual world outside of us and that there is spiritual warfare that takes place. A preacher by the name of C.H. Spurgeon, he was a British pre preacher, lived a couple hundred years ago. This quote came from him. He said, what is life but a great battle lasting from our earliest days until we sheath sword in death? If you think about it, our lives, sometimes they can be daily battles, can't they? 
Maybe some of you this morning are in battles with other people. Maybe a coworker who just, man, it just seems they're, they're out to get you. That neighbor who's driving you crazy. Maybe there's a situation going on right now where you're a teenager where, man, you just cannot see eye to eye. It could be that some of you this morning are in a battle with, with temptation. That temptation to sin. You, you rationalize things in your head, but despite those rationalizations, you know deep down that this is kind of not the life you should be living. And yet you find yourself giving in so often. It's like a battle that you're fighting. You could be here this morning and you're in a battle against circumstances. This is something that's outside of your control. This is just life and, and some of the blows it's delivering. And it's like a battle that's going on with these circumstances. Maybe you're here this morning and there are addictions that you're struggling with. It's a daily battle to fight those addictions that, that show up every single day. It could be one of those. It could be something else. But as we wrap up this series this morning called Masterpiece, we're going to look at this, this last part of Ephesians. Because it was written by a guy who understood that evil is real. That there is a spiritual battle happening all around us. And in this letter, in this last chapter, chapter 6, Paul talks about the fight that we're in. And he gives us some great insight in how we should handle this fight. He even identifies some of the mistakes that we make in the battlefield. Some of the mistakes that we make as we try to fight this fight. In fact, we're going to look right now at three mistakes that Paul kind of brings out in Ephesians chapter 6. Three mistakes that we very often make in our fights against this spiritual battle. The first mistake is that we tend to fight in our own power. Listen to what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I don't know about you, but I know that when I face different battles in my mind, in my life, I, I often have this attitude of, I got this. I can get through this. I can beat this. I can fix this relationship. I can stop this habit. I can turn this around. And that first step we make, oftentimes the first mistake we make is to try and figure it all out, try and fix it in our own strength. Case and I are uh, going through a project right now at our house. Uh, believe it or not, this is um, some repairs being done to our house from the tornado. Uh, yes, that tornado three years ago. There's not been one since. We just have finally got round to getting some of the work done on our house. The insurance have paid out. And um, we're going to get some new flooring and some walls fixed from the damage that was done. But in the course of our repairs, um, we've had some ideas. We're like, well, hey, if they're taking the cabinets off the wall, we should put some new cabinets back on the wall. So, you know, there have been some some upgrades along the way, so uh, some extra expenses. So now we're spending more than the insurance has paid. So uh, I'm like looking at the bill. I'm like, hey, you know what? If I do all the demolition myself, I could save some money. And uh, demolition, anyone can do demolition, right? I mean, that's breaking stuff. Even I can do that, right? So, um, so I'll do that myself. So I start. So uh, the demolition was taking up all the flooring in my house. So we had a deadline we had to be done by. So a few weeks ago, I started and I went into one of the rooms in our house that has wood floor. And I figured out that if I just hit this crowbar, this pry bar hard enough, I could get under the bits of wood. And, and one at a time, I'm popping these bits of wood floor up. And I'm like, look at me. I'm getting this done. I'm saving so much money. I'm throwing it out in the yard, getting ready for the dumpster to come. Well, about three days later, I finally finished one room. <laughs> and I'm like, this is going to take me the rest of my life. 
I need help. Now, I'm not good at asking for help. I was like, I got this. I can figure this out. So I called up some friends, and I had one friend in particular, Nick, who's brilliant, and uh, he showed up, and he's got this tool that I've never seen before. It's like this long handle thing, and he just gets into my living room and starts going, bam, 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 and this wood floor's just flying up three, four bits at a time, and I'm like, seriously? If you knew how long I'd spent in that other room. But I'm so glad that I called Nick and these other friends of mine who came, and they helped, and because the job got done so much quicker. But the truth is that we're probably all a little bit like that, aren't we? There's, there's a chance we could turn to God and say, God, I need your help. Maybe turn to others and say, hey, would you help me in this situation? But we, we, we make the mistake of thinking, no, I got this. I can fix this. The first mistake we make on the battlefield is that we don't recognize that the strength to fight our battles comes from an external source. And that source is Jesus. He wants to be our strength to help fight these battles. Paul actually reminds us, not only does God have power, he has mighty power. Whatever we're facing, no matter how overwhelming life can seem, Paul says, be confident and trust in the mighty power of God. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We don't have to face the challenges of life alone. We can call upon God and his mighty power. He wants to work through us. So maybe fighting in our own strength, fighting on our own power, is the first mistake that some of us have made. Or maybe we've made the second mistake. The second mistake, you know, is fighting the wrong enemy. In this idea of, of spiritual battle, you know, that's, I think that's one of the, the ploys of the devil. He's like, hey, I don't care if you know there's a battle. Just make sure you don't fight against me. And he's right. So often we fight against everyone but the actual enemy himself. Listen to how Paul continues here in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who Paul is saying our fight is against. And yet so often we feel that our battle is against that rude cashier at the store, or our spouse, or that friend or family member who's, who's let you down once again. And the sad thing is, instead of directing our, our energy and our fight against those, that person that's causing the fight, the enemy, instead we direct it at people, people who we should love. And, and sadly, I see this happen more in the church than anywhere else. I see it happen in the church where people fight against one another instead of fighting against the enemy. And it's, it's sad when you see something like that happen, isn't it? If you're a sports fan here this morning, maybe uh, like me, you're going to get irritated when you see they're, um, a sports team and there's fighting amongst the team members. It's like, come on. I Googled this morning, or this week, I Googled team members fighting. This is one of the first hits I got. If you're a Cubs fan here this morning, it's a good day to be a Cubs fan. Things are going pretty well. But it hasn't, yeah, it hasn't always been that way, has it? There's been a lot of times of them losing to other teams, there's been some times in them losing to their own team. 
I came across this, this article. Some of you know who this is. I didn't recognize who they were, but Carlos Zambrano and Michael Barrett. Apparently, one of these guys, Zambrano, is that right? Was a bit of a hothead and uh, was always kind of getting angry and, and getting mad. And, um, and this particular incident, he gets ejected from the game and something happens to where suddenly he's fighting against his own player in the dugout. The fight continued on in the locker room and the, one of them went to hospital to get stitches in his lip. My like, guys, you're on the same team. There's something wrong here. And yet, as silly as that looks, I want to say sometimes to, to people in the church, guys, we're on the same team. Why are we fighting in the dugout? Because the enemy has, has tricked us. And instead of seeing that these battles, this, this evil in the world that we're to fight against is against the, the, the rulers, what Paul talks about here, not against flesh and blood, but the, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world. Instead, we fight against one another. That's a mistake we too often make. You know, the third and final mistake that I think sometimes we make is that we fight with the wrong tactics. We don't just try and fight in our own strength. We don't end up just fighting one another. But even when we do gear our fight in the right direction, we, we end up fighting with the wrong tactics. Here's what I mean by this. When someone wrongs you, how do you typically respond? When someone's upset you, when something's done something wrong, how do you typically respond? You want to wrong them back, don't you? It's time for revenge. Eye for an eye. They, they need to get back what they had coming. If they're going to do this to me, they're not going to get away with that. But when it comes to doing battle, Paul gives us some very contrary advice to that, that kind of gut instinct. In fact, Paul talks about some armor that we are equipped with to do battle. And listen to his description of that armor. He talks about it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 to 17. He says, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after that battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You see, Paul's writing to a group of people here who were living in a time of Roman captivity. There would have been Roman soldiers everywhere. So, so this would have been a very good visual analogy because they were very used to knowing what the armor looked like. And Paul's saying, hey, you see that soldier over there? In the same way that he is, he's covered in armor. So God's given you some armor. He's given you this belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness, shoes of peace, the peace, the shoes of peace, shoes of peace, a shield of faith, helmet of salvation. All of this armor you have. And we could do a whole series just on this because there's so much uh, wonderful ideas behind this armor. But here's what I want to focus on this morning is as Paul lists out these things, the very last piece is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. But up till then, every other thing that God has given these people has been a defensive piece of armor. It's been something to protect. It's been something to help stand strong. And yet our gut response, anytime something happens, is to go straight on the offensive, to attack, to want to get revenge, to do, to do harm in return. But Paul's listening at these things for our protection. 
In fact, he says, doesn't he, in verse 13, let us put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. He's saying when it comes to fighting evil, we're just to stand firm. A natural fighting tactic is to attack with revenge, but we're not told to take revenge. We're to leave that to God. We're told to stand firm. And God equips us with what we need to stand firm, to withstand those attacks from the enemy. Paul says, don't just stand firm. There's another verse in 18. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Our tactic when it comes to spiritual warfare, our tactic when it comes to believing that there is evil out there that's looking to destroy our lives and destroy our relationships, destroy our marriages. Our tactic is to to, to stand firm and to pray. To pray for strength, to pray for endurance, to pray for one another. Paul's saying you need to stand firm in the midst of the battle and pray. So when we're under attack, whatever it may be, We don't fight back. We don't try and get revenge. We stand firm and pray. Why is that? Why would we do that? Because the answer to that question is the key that this whole series is wrapped around. The whole idea of what we've been talking about in this series called Masterpiece. Because we've been talking about our identity. And our identity, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, it's who you are. As a follower of Jesus, it's who you are and and who you are becoming. And when it comes to standing firm and praying, it's wrapped up in who our identity is as a follower of Jesus. And here's why. Because as a follower of Jesus, we have this new identity and we stand on a new side because the battle has already been won. You may feel like you're in the midst of a battle right now, but I want to tell you the the outcome has already been determined. Wherever you are right now, whatever the heat of the battle feels like, the battle has already been won. God has already won the battle. So we are to stand firm and to pray. We don't have to fear. I know that's a struggle for some of us sometimes in the midst of, especially when we talk about evil and we see some of those stories in the newspapers and think, man, what if that happens here? What if, you know, we could become very fearful of the evil that's in the world, but the battle has already been won. We can stand firm and pray knowing that God, who we find our identity in, has already won the battle. You know, the title of this morning's message to kind of close this out is, I am strong. I am strong, and you are strong this morning, because that's our identity in God. Throughout this series, it's been my goal that every one of us begin to see ourselves and and see one another through the lens of Jesus as God's beloved children, as God's masterpiece. That's who we are. We're to remove the labels and not give in to the the pressure to say, well, society says that I'm this, or my upbringing says that I'm this, or my parents spoke spoke this over me, and because of that, I feel like I'm this. That may all be true, but now we have a new identity as followers of Jesus. Paul is talking to the church here in Ephesus saying, you can find a new identity. You are adopted into God's family. 
And this morning, here's something about your identity that you may not have realized. If you are in Christ this morning, you are strong. As a Christ follower, you are strong this morning. You are strong because Jesus is strong and he lives inside of you. You are strong because Jesus will fight for you. You are strong this morning because Jesus has already won the battle. All this strength is inside of you. And sometimes it's like, I'm not sure if I believe that, but this is what Paul is telling us. You know, growing up in England, um, we had policemen, believe it or not. We had policemen, just like you guys do. Um, and we had speech traps. Now, they weren't quite as prevalent. It seems here that that's um, uh, a big part of being a policeman. When I'm out driving, there's a lot of cop cars, you know, kind of waiting there and on overpasses, that kind of thing. But in England, um, they weren't that common, but they were around. And 30 years ago, when I first learned to drive, I was always kind of aware of this, looking out for them. And I can remember driving home from work one day, and uh, there was a particular road that I used to drive up, and it was easy to kind of lose track of how fast you were going. And I was going pretty fast up that road that day. And this is how the police used to deal with this in England when I was younger. So um, I'm driving up the road, and suddenly I see up ahead, it was kind of a, a road with hedges on the side and houses. Suddenly I see this police officer just step out from behind a hedge, and he's got like one of those laser guns. He just points it straight at my car. And as I drive by, I'm like, oh, I'm busted. Because I slam on the brakes, but I know straight away that I'm going too fast. Well, I carry on about another half a mile up the road. They must have been communicating via radio between one another. Because as I go a little bit further up the road, another police officer, again, on foot, he steps out into the road and he puts his hand up. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm busted. So I just pull over to the side of the road, and he walks up, and he goes, do you know how fast you were going? And I'm like, and the conversation ensued, and I learned the hard way as a 17-year-old, my very first speeding ticket. But here's the crazy thing about that story. So this guy, I mean, he was a pretty big guy. But the reality is there was nothing in him that was going to stop my car. But I stopped. When he stood out in front of me and he raised his hand, I mean, it's not like he was Iron Man and if I tried to go through him, you know, the car would have been destroyed. I mean, he just, he stood there and I pulled over and I stopped. Do you know why those cars stop? It's not because that individual has the strength to stop the vehicle. But that police officer was wearing a uniform that day, carrying a badge. And, and that uniform represented a lot more than that individual. It represented the law of the land, the justice system. It represented fines and prison. It wasn't the policeman that caused me to stop that day. It was everything that that uniform that he was wearing represented. It stopped my thousand-pound vehicle, or however fast, heavy my car is. It stopped it dead right there. And every time I think about that, I think about who we are in Jesus this fight that we're fighting. And we can get scared sometimes as we, we think of the evil that's in the world. But when we stand firm, as Paul challenges us to, when we resist, it's not us. It's not the police officer. It's the uniform that we wear. It's Jesus who is strong. It's Jesus who's already won the battle. That's who we're standing representing. And that stops the enemy in his tracks. That's who we're standing up against. 
You know, as we've worked our way through this series, you've probably realized that, that, that living into this identity, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, maybe this is kind of new to you, and as you grow in this identity, it's still like, man, I'm still not sure if I fully get this or if I'm fully experiencing it in my life. The truth is, becoming God's masterpiece, it isn't an overnight occurrence. It's a lifelong process. But it's something that I hope you'll step into. I hope it's something you'll ask God to help you grow in. Because it is a battle. It is a fight every single second of the day. But you can stand firm. Because in Christ, you, this morning, you are strong. Good will always win. Evil will always be defeated. Because God has already won. Let's pray. God, so often I get to have conversations with individuals and families and couples here at Connect Lord. And even though we talked about evil, sometimes feeling like it's something that's out there around the world, the reality is I see so much example of evil trying to destroy relationships, trying to break apart families, trying to deflate and defeat people. We're facing tough circumstances. Help us to realize, Lord, in the midst of this battle that we are strong. Not because of our own strength, but because our identity is found in who we are in Jesus. That we can stand strong against the evil one. We can stand against the, those forces of evil that would try and do harm. Help us not to fight against one another. Help us not to try and fight in our own strength. Help us to stand strong, to resist the enemy, to recognize who it is that's out to destroy our lives and destroy our marriages and destroy our families, to pray against him, to pray for help from you, and to stand confident and strong, knowing, Lord, that we can be strong because the battle has been won. You've won the battle. Jesus, your victory over death seals the deal. The battle has already been won, and we may be in the midst of a uh, battle of our own right now, but we know the outcome. Whatever happens, whatever life deals us, whatever the devil tries to do in our lives, nothing will change the outcome that you have already won, that one day will be with you uh, for eternity. So help us to remember that and stand strong this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.